Hello, everyone, and welcome to Canadian Sport Institute Pacific's Podium Cast podcast. In this podcast, we explore cutting edge ideas, gain valuable insights, and dive into athletes' journeys from the world of high performance sport. Hello everyone, I'm your host Kendra Stoner and I'm so excited you're here with me today. Before I get to today's guest, I'd like to thank our epic sponsors at Endure. Check them out, they seriously rock. They have performance socks and their shop at Uptown in Victoria has all the essentials. I'm obsessed. Now, today I have with me Olympic and Canadian 10,000 meter record breaker race walking Canadian Sport Institute Pacific's November 2019 Athlete of the Month, superstar Evan Dunphy. Evan, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited you're here. <laughs> hey, Kendra. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to chat. Yeah, no worries. First, could you explain how you got into race walking and a bit about the sport? I feel quite undereducated in this sport, and I'm really excited to talk to you about it. <laughs> yeah, no, um, uh, I, my story into race walking, I mean, everyone in race walking typically has like a very unique story, especially in Canada, because it's, you know, it's not the biggest event and you don't see hordes of us out there training. Um, so my, my story very much was uh, I was 10 years old. Um, I was the shortest kid in the class, red curly hair, big thick glasses, uh, loved sport, but was a little bit motor delayed and, uh, and ball sports typically ended in me getting hit in the face a lot and breaking a lot of glasses and I wanted to be good at something. And so I started running and I was like, oh, wow, I'm really good at, I can run for really long times without getting tired. And then joined a track club and, um, just really loved it. Really wanted to be like, this was what I'm going to be really good at. And then, uh, when I was 10, my older brother, he was doing the exact same thing. He was running a track club, had his appendix taken out. His high school coach was like, hey, while, you, while your stitches heal, like there's this weird thing called race walking. I don't know much about it, but maybe it will help. You, know, you can maintain your fitness without pulling on your stitches so much. And then when your stitches heal, you come back to running. So he tried that. And I think he finished third in his first race. And there's probably only four kids in the race, to be honest. But um <laughs> You know, as the younger brother, I was like, well, if he can do it, it's got to be easy. Uh, so <laughs> he taught me the technique, and um, I went to my first race, and it was an 800-meter race, and the kid next to me was that kid who had won all the races, and he saw me as a new kid, and he was like, oh, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, five minutes. That's a, that's a round number. Let's, 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 let's try to break five minutes. And he's like, oh, you'll never do that on your first try. And I beat that kid. I went 457. I was like, all right, I'm a race walker now. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Nice. Uh, and that was, and I didn't really look back from that. That's so cool. What do you think, like, do you think your brother really played a role in that, that like competitive sibling nature? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we used to, I mean, we used to do, we used to, they always ended up in fights, but like our entire life was playing sports against each other whether it was hockey up in our games room, um, driving my parents nuts because we were stomping around on our knees um, <laughs> above the garage and having the whole house shake, um, <laughs> you know, outside playing street hockey, um, you know, running, running track, doing race walk together. And he, he never really loved the track and race walking as much, but he did it for, for a while. And um, yeah, so it was, it was, he was really instrumental in all of it. So now he's a huge, huge fan of mine, big supporter comes to, he was in Rio and he was in the, at our London World Championships as well. So. He makes it out to a few of the races, which is fun. And 
yeah, now he's actually a broadcaster. So he works, uh, you know, in broadcasting in the last couple of years, Athletics Canada has actually had him come out and commentate our nationals. So he's actually got to, to commentate my, my national championship races, which is, uh, really cool. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) Uh, Evan, can you share with us the most valuable lesson you've learned from sport to date? It's a big one. (laughs) It is. Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, sport in general is just like this amazing environment to learn. Um, yeah, I was such a sore loser. Like when I, I mean, I started race walking because I wanted to be the best at something. I wanted to be good at something. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't like talking about like saying that, oh, I was, you know, I was bullied and all this stuff. Cause I think like I was on both sides of the coin. I was you know, bullied a little bit and I, I was a bully. And, and so I'm not the ideal person to talk about that sort of stuff. I don't think, I think there's way better more articulate people to touch on that but um you know part of the reason I got into race walking was I wanted to be the best at something to to prove to my bullies that um you know that ooh look at me I'm I'm the best um ironically race walking in high school is not a way to dissuade bullies but that's <laughs> that's a that's a side I had a little bit of a tangent but um but yeah so I mean because of that I was such a sore loser I was the kid in in hockey games that was smashing my stick and swearing and you know, if we lost games, my parents my parents always took two cars to the rink and would you know, fight over who had to take me home if we lost because they didn't want to be in the car with me. Um, you know, it's um, I, I was just you know, winning was all that mattered and and that was it. And you know, I was so lucky to have these great coaches, whether it be in hockey or whether it be in track, that were very patient and and very you know every time I acted out like that, they take me aside and tell me to be a little bit better and show me how to be a little bit better. And mm. over time, you know this allowed me to grow and um, really it took I mean it took a long time I'm a slow learner but um, you know eventually I was able to see because of sport because of those coaches I was able to um, you know come to this point where I could see that the process was more important than the outcome and and that you know the journey and, and what you learn along the way like that was so much more important than whether you won or lost and um, I think sport just provides such a safe environment to fail that I think it's so good for developing, you know, all those skills, whether it's determination, teamwork, sportsmanship, all that stuff is just crafted so nicely in sport because the stakes are pretty low. I mean, at the end of the day, it's sport. Like if you fail, it's, it's not the end of the world and it's easy to dust yourself up and get up and and try again. And I think that's what I really love about sport is, is just giving that environment for people to, to learn and to grow and to, to fail in a safe place I love that so much that's amazing it's almost like sport is this space of like outside reality when like it's its own world and like you say if you fail it it's it is sport at the end of the day and I think it's such a yeah safe unique environment for you to kind of figure out your awareness and figure out what you like in in the world and and in your life and I, I love that explanation. That is amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I'm the person I am outside of sport, like a hundred percent because of sport. Like sport mm-hmm. has turned me into the person I am, like no question about it. Exactly. And I think I always try to tell athletes that I work with that although you haven't worked in a job setting, you're getting so many life skills being in sport. It's unreal, like teamwork and dedication and work ethic that's all learned in developing in your sport too and I think a lot of people 
kind of forget that although sport is its own unique space, it's also super applicable in the real world. Real world, as Absolutely. I do fake quotations. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'd love to kind of get to a bit of your community involvement. I know you've been quite heavily involved, and I think it's really amazing. You started uh, Dunphy's Kids Sport Walks campaign, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's so cool. So get, let me get this straight. You walked 25 kilometers a day for 25 days and spoke to 25 schools. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. And uh, the 25 schools ended up being 26, but um, and, and they weren't they weren't in 25 days. That would okay. have killed me. Um, those were spread out over uh, <laughs> from over last fall. So yeah, last yep. last year, um, over a couple months, I was able to get those get those in. That's so cool. I mean, 25, 25, 25. It just sounds so good. And you raised more than $25,000 for Kids Sport BC, right? Yeah. So the Gosh, whole idea was, so, so cool. kids, yeah, so Kids Sport was celebrating their 25th anniversary last year. And um, I was in a little bit of a rut training. Hadn't been going great. I hadn't really had, had blown up in a lot of races and, and hadn't been able to build on the success I had in Rio. And really, it was the first couple of years where I hadn't improved. I, every year leading up to the Olympics in 2016, I... I had kept improving, kept improving, kept improving. Then I hit a wall and I was just so frustrated and just needed by the time, by the time middle of 2018 came around, I just needed something else. I just needed a break. I needed a mental reprieve. And, um, I love working at kids sport. They're such a great charity. They do so much good work for just getting, you know, their, their mandate is so simple, like get, get more kids in sport. Mm. Um, it's so simple and so effective. And, um, so I, I want to do something for them and, and, um, came up with this idea of just celebrating their 25th anniversary by doing this these 25 Ks for 25 days and the 25 school talks and just keeping it simple and and trying to you know keep you know all those all those 25s in line and uh, <laughs> it was the first event I've ever tried to organize. Um, I think if I was to do it all again, I might have started with like a one day event. <laughs> and um, yeah, <laughs> it, logistically it was it was being thrown off the deep end. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed connecting with all the schools. And I got really lucky that I basically just put out a call for schools. And at the end of the day, 26 came forward. And I was like, okay, well, that worked out perfectly. It could have been 10. It could have been 40. Like, I mm -hmm. don't know what I would have done uh, in either of those situations. But um, it ended up being 26. And then mm -hmm. all the schools raised money themselves. Um, so the whole idea was that the schools were trying to raise $400 each because um, that's one kid supported by kids sport. So teaching the kids the, the sort of the message of like, you know, little things they do in their community, um, you know, really help and um, make a difference. So the idea that as a school, they could all come together, give a dollar each. And because of that, someone potentially in their school or, or definitely in their community would be, um, you know, getting to getting to play sport because of it. And so that was that was really the whole idea. And the schools jumped on that idea, and I had one school that raised over two thousand dollars. Wow! Uh, it was pretty amazing. My, I went to my old elementary school, which was really cool. Again, oh, to go fun. back to my old elementary school, and the principal said, "You know, Evan wants to raise four hundred dollars, but we're his we're his school. Like we can do better than that." And had said, "If if we raise a thousand dollars, it, you know, the principal said that the kids could pie him in the face." Oh. And so I was like, I was like, this is amazing. Look, if you guys raise a thousand dollars, you can pie me in the face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they did. And they raised like 1200 bucks and wow. I ended up going back and 
sitting in my old elementary school gym and, and getting pied in the face by one of the kids. And it was, <laughs> it was, it was awesome. It was so much fun. That is so cool. So how has community involvement and engagement helped you grow as an individual outside of sport and in sport? Well, I think, you know, in sport, it's done you know, last doing that event last year. It was a complete reframing of, hmm. of, of where I was at and, and what the impact I have was, um, especially leading up to, I'd say up until probably 2015 and maybe even into 2016, but, but mostly into 2015 sport for me was very individualistic. Um, I was very selfish. Um, I was doing this for me and that was kind of all that mattered. Um, I, I got to a point where I kind of realized like, Hey, wait a second. Like the government is giving me money to do this. Why are they doing that? The government doesn't typically hand out free money. Um, I mean, I guess depending on <laughs> what your views are, um, that might be a <laughs> might be a debatable subject. But in general, like I'm being paid for something, what's that impact? Like, what am I supposed to be doing here? And that mm-hmm. kind of helped shift my mindset, and and really the community involvement with kids sport really pushed that even further of understanding that like you know, as an athlete, I have a role that I can play in in my community, and I have you know I can help create tangible behavioral changes and 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 really promote you know the goodness that is sport and um i help i think within sport that mindset has really helped me um grow as an athlete and and you know get through bad training sessions because they don't matter because it's all part of the bigger picture and 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 this that and the other thing um one training session that stands out in my mind uh I was trying to get back into training after the Olympics in 2016 and I was just having a really rough day. And I got, was walking past my elementary school and just kind of feeling miserable and in my own head. And I had all these kids 500 meters away yelling my name. And I was like, you know what? The training session doesn't matter. I stopped my watch, went over to these kids. They were playing basketball. We ended up playing basketball for like 15 minutes. We did some race walk races. Um, and then they were like, oh, aren't you supposed to be training? I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go finish up my workout. And they were like, oh, can we come with you? And they hopped on their bikes and Aww. they biked the last two kilometers with me. Um, and so just, I think just really helping, making me see that it's bigger than my training. It's bigger than just what I do on the on the race course. And I think that makes the day-to-day monotony that sometimes is endurance sport uh, a lot easier. Mm. Uh, and then outside of sport, I mean, it's just helped me approach the world in a different way and, and understand the value of making connections with people and, and being able to, you know, support people in whatever way you can to, to help them achieve their goals and stuff like that. It's, um, I think it's really helped me yeah, see people in a different light and, and understand um, the value that, that each and every one of us has to sort of impact other people in our lives. That's amazing. You kind of had this shift of going from like this selfish uh, sporting nature to like being able to have your eyes opened and see the selflessness that and how really typically small we all are in our individual <laughs> worlds and being able to make a difference in any kind of way it's must must have been super impactful yeah yeah I mean it's so cool I mean I you get I don't as I'm a race walker I don't expect people to like you know be super like I, I don't know it's just it's a it's a thing that's it's a weird thing to do i mean I, I i walk fast for a living like that's when you break it down like that's a really really strange thing and then to know that there's still people out there who 
you know, I have become inspired by that. And I, all of elementary school kids sent me a message on Instagram saying, I saw you out training. Like it was so cool. Like, you know, I'm, I'm now that I, the fastest walker in my school. And I'm just like, that's the coolest thing ever. That is um, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just something that I never really expected. And it's been, it's been really cool to, to have that. Mm-hmm. Just a little side note. I was talking to a colleague the other day and we were talking about sport in general and just breaking down what sport is like I climb uh, rocks and thinking of like the fundamentals of like climbing a rock is a very weird concept and like soccer you have this round object that you're using your feet to kick around and get into it they're just there's it's weird concept sports weird <laughs> yeah like I mean that would be a cool like marketing campaign thing that's like looking at breaking down all the sports like yeah. I kick balls like yeah. I <laughs> I play I hit things with a stick like, you know, I, I run, I climb, I walk, like, yeah, like that's at the end of the day, like that's all sport is. And I think if, I think, I think we're better off seeing it for that Mm -hmm. than we are if we put it up on this pedestal and, and try to make it more than it is. Totally. Having a little bit of humbleness doesn't hurt nobody. Um, you kind of mentioned Instagram and how a kid reached out to you about, about your sport and how you kind of inspired him. I'd love to kind of touch on this. I know you're quite involved in, uh, in the social media realm and being able to share your journey. What role has that played in your athletic career? Yeah, it's been, it's been really fun. Like I, I've definitely, it's been, I've had to go through a bit of a transformative process with it. Um, uh, I used to be used as the examples in Athletics Canada for like what not to tweet and how not to act on social media. No way. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very outspoken and um, I'm, I'm not afraid to voice my opinions. And um, I've had to get a lot better at like reading a tweet and being like, no, that doesn't need to be posted. Mm. Uh, um, so, you know, th- there's definitely been an evolution there, but I still think, you know, I, I have this... Um, Yeah, I, I think I, I, social media for me, I use it to just to voice my opinions, to, to you know, try to, um, what am I trying to say? Um, really just use as a platform to share my story and to, to share my personality. And um, you know, I think that's been really good. I think especially people appreciate how much I'm willing to share of my training and um, especially when things are bad. Like I, mm-hmm. I have no problem. Um, being like, hey, like this race sucked. Let's talk about it. Or this training session sucked. Or like, um, it's not just. I don't try to just post like that. Hey, I did something great. Look at me. I'm awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, which I think some athletes can get caught up in um, too far too often. So um, yeah, I try to just be as me as possible and mm-hmm. um, not worry too too much about uh, anything beyond that. And I think I found a nice happy. Uh, happy space with that where it works for me and yeah people seem to appreciate it at least somewhat so that Mm -hmm. that's helpful as well I think it's super uh, awesome of you to be so transparent and be able to share those failures as well as those successes because I think social media generally speaking in society is kind of this uh, awkward environment where everybody's just sharing all the incredible things that's going on that maybe even happened like a year ago and not really sharing like their personal experience in the present moment and I think that 
that definitely affects other people. So I think you being able to be transparent is super powerful. Yeah, I mean, it could be, I mean, be so stressful, especially for young kids, like seeing that side of it. I, I think we have gotten better as a whole in the last couple of years of, especially like, I mean, I, most of what I see is athletes and, mm-hmm. but I do see a lot more athletes sort of sharing the ups and the downs um, mm-hmm. than we did before. I, so I think that's really good. I think we've turned a corner with that and, and people are starting to you know, use social media a little bit more transparently and um, speaking their and, truth. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and realizing that like there's some value in, in, in sharing the downs as well. Um, Definitely. Because especially as someone as you know, a lot of athletes where you have tons of people looking up to you um, it's really important to be able to share both sides of the coin. Um, yeah. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> um, can you tell us a bit about training in Australia? You've done this annually for at least the past two or three years. Is that correct? Yeah, four, I guess now. Cool. You four mentioned five, yeah. that the race walking community is pretty tight knit over there. What does training so closely with other countries add to your program? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, so we have this thing called Supernova. And there's basically these research studies that are conducted out of the um, Australian East of Sport in Canberra there. So um, started uh, back in 2015, I guess, in, you know, in its sort of current form. And uh, we do research studies on dietary stuff. So we've done a couple years of like low carb, high fat diets. Uh, we're now investigating like low energy availability diets. So looking at um, like... Uh, relative energy deficiency in sport and um, and some of those uh, big things that are happening in the sports nutrition world. So it, it's really awesome because we get these these guys like we'll have 20 to 25 guys from 12 different countries or something like that. I think we had last year who come together and, and all train together um, from all areas of the globe. Like last year we had Canada, Mexico, Colombia, Ecuador, Japan, uh, Lithuania, Poland, you know, just all, all these people from all over the world coming together to, to train with one another and to sort of push each other to be better. Um, you don't really see that in, in any events. And I think part of it is because the race walking world is quite small um, in some countries. So in Canada, like there's no way I could get a training group of, you know, of half a dozen people, let alone 20 Olympic caliber athletes. Mm-hmm. Um so it's, it's, it's such, so amazing. And, and we're so lucky to have um, Louise Burke, who's the principal investigator in all these studies. She's like the top sports nutritionist in the world. And she really loves race walking from the science side of things because there's so much that, you know, we're, we're so willing to like commit our bodies to, to the science and, and do these studies. And I mean, they're pretty brutal doing three and a half weeks of low carb, high fat. Like it was treacherous um for me and last year i did seven days of a 1500 calorie a day deficit um to see what happens to our body and um, being able to do that stuff in a very safe and controlled environment is Mm. is rewarding but it's also really tough and and Mm. a lot of athletes um might not see that as beneficial but um the race walkers are willing to take that chance and if it means it at the end of the day it means we can come together and train together so it's Mm. it's worth it I could just well, it's warm. I don't like being cold. No, I don't know who does. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept thinking when you're talking about that test of in the name of science. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's all. It's all for science. Yeah. It's, no, that's really cool. And, yeah. 
very unique. having done my degree having mm-hmm. done my degree in kinesiology mm-hmm. I always kind of feel like I have all these friends who have like you know they're physios now and or they have their masters or PhDs and I'm always like oh like I feel like I haven't done much with my degree and then I realize like well no I, I kind of get to I get to be a subject in some of these like groundbreaking yeah. you know, seminal research studies and, and that's pretty pretty dang cool and yeah. they let me help out on the research team sometimes in the lab and, and do some stuff so it's it's really cool and, and we get you know the researchers as well they come they become part of your family and nice. they commit such long hours right like they're mm-hmm. we think we have it tough but they're in there at 3 a.m calibrating the DEXA machine for a 4 30 DEXA scan um so it's they 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 commit their their lives to this thing for for the month as well and um it just becomes you just become one big happy family (laughs) awesome so you were present for the canadian men's field hockey team's recent tokyo qualification on home soil that game was crazy they claimed their sport in the tokyo 2020 games by a sudden death shootout (sighs) (laughs) i hear your gas yeah what was that experience like tell me it was I've seen a lot of sport in my life, my you know my relatively limited life to this point um, has been mostly just watching sport, <laughs> and it was by far the the most amazing thing I've ever seen live. Just knowing that you know there was what there's about two thousand people there in, in at Rutledge Field in West Vancouver, but every single one I'd say probably eighteen hundred of those two thousand people. Were, were one step removed they were they were family they were you know they were girlfriends they were wives they were you know best friends from elementary school they were fellow they were former teammates um you know they were field hockey canada alumni like everyone there knew this team and, and knew what it meant to them and, and were a part of it and so just seeing that atmosphere was insane and and I just, yeah, it's hard to describe what, what that day was like. And, and the, the guys, like, I, I've i been following the guys for since 2015 at Pan Am's there. I became friends with a, with a few of them. And, um, you know, I'm not a team sport athlete. Like, I'm, you know, as an individual, like, when I first qualified for the Olympics in 2016, it was kind of like, finish the race. I was like, sweet. It was a year and a half before the Games. I was like, sweet. I got my time. I'm going to the Olympics. That's cool. Carry on with training. Like, it, it, it wasn't this pinnacle moment um so to get to be a part of that to, to you know to be on the sidelines and get to be a part of their pinnacle moment was was so special and um they actually invited me into the dressing room after to celebrate with them and uh and we went out for drinks after and stuff like that and so just that whole experience was was so much fun and i'm so appreciative of the team for you know let me be a fly on the wall because it was uh it was pretty special getting to watch watch them celebrate and you know for some of these guys it came down to eight seconds you know eight seconds for that penalty shoot for each shot in the penalty shootout and it was eight seconds to decide whether or not do i still play field hockey or am i looking for jobs tomorrow wow um and it's yeah it's it's uh you can feel that when you're there. Um, and it was pretty special. And then, you know, heartbreak a week later, watching the girls in the exact same situation, um, you know, come, come those eight seconds short. And mm. I was in my living room, uh, not able to sit. I was standing in front of the TV, uh, <laughs> kind of just shaking. And uh, mm. I felt, you know, I, I just wanted to be there and give them a giant hug. Cause, uh, mm. you know, you, you saw you know we saw last week what it meant for Ireland not to qualify and mm-hmm. the the sort of the pain and disappointment that was and I mean that's sport I mean that's what we love about sport but that's also what uh 
what we hate about sport. Totally. Is that sometimes sometimes someone has to lose and that mm-hmm. sucks. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Thanks for sharing that. So, Evan, back to you. You broke a Canadian record earlier this year and won a bronze medal at this year's World Championships. Congrats. Thank you. You're welcome. You also captain the World Championships team. How does this set you up for a qualification year as we move toward Tokyo 2020? Yeah, it was so nice. I mean, I think we touched on it earlier. Just the, the kids sports stuff last year really helped reinvigorate me. And, and I came into this year just feeling so much more relaxed and like happy happier than I'd been in a couple of years. And um, I'm happy to say that that translated into really good training. And yeah, I was finally able to get, it's been, it had been three years since I had gotten a personal best in any distance. Um, so to get that 10,000 meter record was, uh, was pretty special. And it was, it was a nice, big confidence boost heading into uh, the rest of the summer. And yeah, world champs was amazing. Just had a, such a solid build of training with uh, some of my teammates, uh, trained with a couple of guys, one from Sweden, one from New Zealand. And, and we had just had this magical month of training um, in St. Moritz and, and Switzerland beforehand. And uh, yeah, I just went into world champs a little bit, maybe not as confident as I should be. And I raced really conservatively and, and, you know, bronze was amazing. I was so happy for that, but looking back on it, I think a little bit more confidence and that could have, that would have been a silver and mm-hmm. who knows, I maybe could have even contended for the gold. So, mm-hmm. um, it was a really good year, but I definitely learned a lot as well that I'm going to make sure I apply to Tokyo. So you know, I'm lucky enough that I'm already qualified for Tokyo. Um, although saying that it's a little bit unfortunate that I say Tokyo, but we're actually sadly no longer me racing in Tokyo. The, the races have been moved to Sapporo about a thousand kilometers north of tokyo because of um unfounded concerns over the heat um so the ioc has made a bit of a unilateral decision to to move us which kind of sucks because got family and friends that were booked flights and i want to go watch those boys play field hockey <laughs> <laughs> but um you know we'll, we'll make the most of it I, i'll race anywhere you know whatever it is i just want to line up against the best guys in the world and mm. try to prove myself so um you know, i'm going to apply some of the lessons i learned this year and uh, hope like heck we get a heat wave in, in Sapporo and uh, and we have get similar me. conditions to to Doha because I, I feel like I handle those those conditions really well and um, yeah I'm excited to try to just fight for that podium again yeah I'm excited for you you kind of last question and then we'll kind of wrap things up here um, you mentioned how kids sport kind of re- rejuvenated you and you've been feeling more happy and relaxed. Can you kind of maybe expand a bit more like of the importance of mindset and like feeling happy and in within yourself and then that transpiring into your athletic career? Yeah, I mean, so for me, what it used to be with training was like my happiness was completely dependent on how my last training session went, Uh, which when you're training 14 times a week uh, (laughs) is very volatile. Uh, you're not going to have 14 good training sessions in, in you know week after week. Um, so I was so up and down and, and yeah, it was, it, there were some points when it was like, if I had a bad training session, it was like, oh, the world's ending. Like I'm never going to be fit again. Like what's happened to me? Like, like it was, <laughs> it was pretty bad. And so, yeah. you know, it's just hard to, you know, hard to maintain that. And it's really exhausting doing that. And, um, I think the kids sport event in particular helped me to sort of take a step back and be like, ah, yeah, it's just sport. Like it doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And, and 
that day-to-day especially doesn't matter. So I think this year I went into it with a lot more of just like, yeah, I'm just going to do the work and trust that that work pays off. So Mm -hmm. the other big change I made this year was just promise myself I was going to try less in training to prove how fit I was. Just trust that all the work we're doing was going to lead to good performances and, and not have to, you know, every week smash out sessions to, to prove to myself that, hey, look, yes, I'm getting fitter. Um, it was just like do the session you were told at the speeds you were told and trust that that's going to help. And then on race day, you can you can kill yourself and, and prove, you know, that's when you prove how fit you are. Um, so I think really believing in that this year made a huge difference. I think I've said that to myself in the past, but didn't actually believe it. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest difference was just like trusting in that process. And that really allowed myself to be happy on the day to day. Amazing. Cool. Evan, well, I'll wrap things up now. Um, how can people follow your journey? Are you on social media platforms? Yeah, just everything's at Evan Dunphy. Um, nice. Twitter, Instagram, um i'm on strava as well so i post all my training uh so if anyone's interested in seeing just sort of yeah what my training looks like right now it's it's nothing because i'm on some time off but eventually i'll start walking again and um yeah it all gets posted up on the strava so um yeah that's a that's a good one to sort of see how training's going all that stuff but yeah mostly twitter and instagram is sort of the main platforms sweet well thank you so much for joining me today evan and congrats on all your accomplishments i'm totally looking forward to seeing you at tokyo or just outside of tokyo (laughs) (laughs) cool well well, thank you yeah yeah (laughs) thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podium cast have a great day everyone bye-bye Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of The Podium Cast. If you have any feedback or topics you'd like covered, send us an email at athlete at csipacific.ca. Stay tuned for our next episode and have a fabulous day.